0: You can go ahead and open your copy of the scriptures to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. I'm always grateful for every opportunity that I get to be in the pulpit and to serve our church body in this way. Uh, There have been a few things within the last couple of months that have just increased my joy uh, in our local church. Conversations I've had with people outside our church and inside of our church, seeing what God is doing and really the, the, the many ways that God is working in our church has just uh, just really, honestly, increased the joy in me. Uh, I'm so glad I get to serve here. I'm so glad uh, to, to love on you guys this way. And I'm so glad that many of you are involved in loving our family and encouraging and challenging our family. Uh, I just love being a part of this, this local church. Colossians has been kind of uh, different for us walking through a book of the Bible while we're in this kind of festive Christmas season, but I've really enjoyed it. I love the kind of foundational uh, theological truths that we've been able to, to dig into um, in chapter 1 and 2, things, things such as the preeminence of Christ, that Christ is of first importance, of highest importance. Things like the deity of Christ, that, that he was not just a man, that Jesus was God in flesh come to us. And then, you know, chapter 2, if you read chapter 2, you, you read about uh, being made alive together in Christ. That new life that you have in Christ. But chapter 3 is kind of a turning point in the book of Colossians. It's, it's almost as if Paul uh, was getting, you know, through all this theological groundwork and then he kind of looks at the church in Colossae and says, So what? So what? So we've got all this, this stuff we're talking about. We, we've talked about Jesus. We recognize how important he is, how foundational he is. But now we have to answer the question, how does this apply to me? Does this have any effect in my everyday life? So I want to just start by reading Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Then I'll go ahead and pray and we can get to work together. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator, after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. through him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, how it uh, gives us truth and hope, uh, but God, how you've used your word to point to you and to your son, Jesus, as our way of salvation. Would you encourage us this morning, challenge us this morning, work in us this morning, making us more like you and saving people uh, for your kingdom. Jesus, we do love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Ryan Fultz, and I have the, the privilege of serving as our director of high school ministries here at our church. Uh, and one of the reasons that I love high school ministry, one of the reasons that I love it uh, more, than, more than other areas of ministry, is God worked in a huge way in my life in high school. God used kind of the back end of of high school to really grab a hold of my heart and a hold of my life in a very, uh, just a unique way. I learned to deal with consequences uh, from poor choices. I was given opportunities to have more freedom. Uh, I developed strong Christ-centered relationships. But above all, this was an important season of spiritual growth for me. I know I've shared some of this before, but this was a time in my life where I was able, by the grace of God, to sink my roots deeply into the gospel. To really figure out what does it mean when I say I call myself a Christian. What does it look like to live for the glory of God? Not only had I received salvation, that was my greatest joy but God was actively at work in my life in a vibrant, real, transforming way that I can only attribute to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. My gratitudes towards Christ for his work though, hear this, didn't just simply make me wanna go to church, give money, and maybe serve somewhere. But what the Lord was doing in my life was showing me that he wanted all of me. He wanted every part of my life. He wanted every area of my life to be submitted to his rule and his reign. Now, as you can imagine, uh, God is still in the process of doing that. It's not like, you know, I graduated from high school and I'm all perfect and got it all figured out. But it was an, really an interesting season of God Working through my life and bringing out areas. Hey Ryan, give this one to me. Hey Ryan, this one's mine. Hey Ryan, this one you're still holding on to too tightly. Give it up. And this carried on in, into college and, and, and really into uh, into today. Christ was meant to rule and reign in my sexuality. Christ was meant to rule and reign in my future plans of a spouse. And of what college I should go to and what job I might hold. Christ was meant to rule and reign in my relationships, in my hobbies, in my church involvement, and even in my character. Who I was becoming. So because of God's work in my life, here's how I want to say this to you. I'm in a lifelong pursuit To restore Christ's rule and reign to every area of my life. I will be doing this till the day that I die. It has been life changing for me. God showed me that He wanted all of me, every part, submitted to Him. This is one of the beautiful pieces of Colossians 3. That through Christ, I've been given, I've been actually restored to my God-given purpose of glorifying God. And all of that comes through the beauty of what Christ has already done for me. And eternal hope that he's secured for my future. And so with our time today, I want to show you how Jesus gives you purpose. How he is your eternal hope. And how he is a perfect savior, worthy of worship in every area of your life, bar none. So let's start. In, in verse 1 through 3, we get this picture of what this starts to look like. Verse 1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on these things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. One of the things Paul understood you as he was writing to the Colossians was that we are forgetful people. We are forgetful people. He could have just started with a laundry list of areas that he needed them to change. But the first thing he wanted to do was remind them uh, of the purpose God has given them through the gospel. That they have been saved. We are quick in our culture. I think just mankind is quick to find joy and satisfaction in areas that were not meant to hold the weight of our hope. We're in an entertainment driven culture. All you have to do is turn the TV on for a few minutes during any season, but particularly Christmas season. And you will see all the false gods that are being sold to us. That promise, quote unquote, satisfaction. They promise joy. They promise hope. But none of them deliver Actually, the, the Christians in Colossian, or in Colossae were dealing with some temptations at this point in time. In fact, back in chapter two, Paul uses the, the words, stop insisting on asceticism, where these people are insisting on asceticism. There were some false teachers who were uh, trying to pull people away from being satisfied in Christ. They were putting their hope in rituals. They were putting their hope in worshiping angels. There were anything that they could do to Pull them away from the worship of Christ. And Paul knew that the Colossians were being tempted. So that's why he penned this letter. That's why he pens chapter two and then turns it into chapter three. But we are no different than the church in Colossae. We've, we always look for somewhere else to somewhere else for satisfaction. Our entire culture is built around trying to find joy and hope. Outside of Jesus. Entertainment is king. Just think about it. Whether it's the actual stuff like cars. Houses. Gaming consoles. Toys. Or maybe it's just the experiences like movies. Theme parks. Vacations. We are a culture that's ruled. By entertainment. We are entertained to death. Distracted. Away from the reality of this world. Let me give you just one example. Has anybody seen the new Star Wars yet? I'm not spoiling it. Don't worry. Don't freak out. I'm not going to tell you anything about the plot line. I've seen it. I went on opening night. Do you know that in the first week since the movie came out, our country, North America... Spent 400 million dollars seeing this movie. 400 million dollars. That's a few more than I have in my bank account. (laughs) Quite a few more. (laughs) Do you know on Christmas Day alone, we spent 50 million dollars seeing this movie? On Christmas Day. Now, like I said, I've seen it. I'll come clean. I've actually seen it twice. And there's a third one in the works for this week. (laughs) Now, seeing movies is not wrong. Enjoying movies is not wrong. Going with friends and having a good time is not wrong. But we are in a culture that revels in entertainment. We do anything we can to distract us from the reality of our own sin and our hollowness inside. So for some, it's movies. For some, it's video games. For some, it's supporting your favorite football team or basketball team. For some of you, it's your reputation at work. I don't, I don't know what it is, but usually there's somewhere you're trying to find satisfaction other than Christ. I am. There are ways in my life that I'm still trying to turn over to the Lord. Why is it that when I walked into Kohl's, the week before Christmas, and had a couple of things left to get. It took every ounce of self-control in my body to not buy everything Star Wars related for my kids. <laughs> every action figure and, t- and t-shirt, and I didn't. Why is it that I was drawn to that? I wanted to see their faces when they opened that lightsaber up. I wanted to see their faces when they opened some of these things up. We... Long to be satisfied, but we just misplace where we can be satisfied. We do. So if it's not wrong to buy a few Star Wars things for my kids, and if it's not wrong to go see a movie once or a few times, come on. (laughs) If that's not wrong, then why would we talk about this? Well, somehow we have to figure out how our culture, entertainment culture, lines up with Colossians 3.2. Where it says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Somehow we've got to figure out, can we partake in this at all? And set our mind on things above Friends, I really truly think God is trying to get your attention in this text. He's trying to get you to think for a moment, what rules and reigns in my life? What rules and reigns in my life? When Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth, what comes to mind that you know? This has the potential to dominate who I am, to pull me away from the things of God. I really appreciate how author and pastor Kent Hughes explained to set your mind on things above. What does that mean? I think it's in your bulletin there. He said, things above were not material, but rather have to do with Christ's sovereign reign over the universe as he fills the universe with his power. They include his character, his presence, his heavenly joys. We are not to be seeking heavenly geography, but the one who dwells there. Our purpose, Christian, is to think about and live for and set our minds on God-honoring things. What I love about this text, though, is, I've already said this once, is Paul just didn't launch into, here's all the things you need to do. But he surrounds it. He surrounds it with supernatural motivation. Verse 1 says, if you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3 says, your life is hidden in Christ. He's, he's saying, the reason I can ask you to do this is because of what Christ has already done for you. That your life is in Christ and that your life is hidden in Christ. That picture of hidden is that you're held in the covenant-keeping love of God. That's why I can pursue worship in my life. That's why I can pursue honoring the Lord with every area of my life. You see, the gospel truly is our greatest motivation in this life. When I don't want to deal with my own sin I usually try not to think about the cross (laughs) when I'm frustrated about how I've responded to my wife or I've responded to my kids I don't want to hear about how Jesus died for me (laughs) because I know when I go there I'm going to be moved towards repentance the gospel is our greatest motivation so what would this look like, Ryan? I know you're sitting there kind of thinking, okay, we've talked about setting our mind on things above. What, is, what does it actually look like? Well, I think that means we are to be a people that are saturated in scripture. It means we read it because we need it. We memorize it because we love it. We meditate on it because we want it to actually filter in and kind of take over our life. We are to be a people That know and love God's word, that will help us set our mind on things above. But not just simply that. If we want to have the joy and hope uh, of God, if we want to love what He loves, we need to be a missions minded people. I'm reading a book for my class uh, that I've already read before, but it's uh, "Let the Nations Be Glad" by John Piper. And his key phrase in this book is "worship" or "missions exist because worship does not." That we are on mission here and everywhere else because they don't love Jesus yet. And we're about pulling people in to this kingdom business, this kingdom reality that Jesus saves and that he transforms your life. And he's the only hope that you have. If we are setting our mind on things above, we will be about missions here and in the world. It means we're gonna love What Jesus loves. We're gonna love truth. We're gonna love people. We're gonna love justice. We're gonna be compassionate as we set our mind on Christ. But it also means we will hate what Jesus hates. We will treat sin like sin. We will hate injustice and lies and deceit. Because our mind is set on heavenly things, on the joys of God. Brothers and sisters, through your faith in Christ, if you are a Christian here today, and the work Jesus did on the cross, you have been restored to this purpose of setting your mind on things above and not living for things in this world. Don't get distracted. Don't get confused. Don't get caught up in the things on this earth. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Um, If you're not familiar with the book, it's a fictional kind of account of a senior demon writing to his nephew uh, as he tries to basically train him in how to distract or capture or uh, lead people away from Christ. And he wrote this in one of those letters that C.S. Lewis wrote this. And I want to read it to you because I feel like it really captures the concern that we have, that I have, for our culture and our local church. So when he speaks about a person being distracted by these worldly things, he says, You will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. Which is God in this this letter. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder, listen to this, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope. Soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Friends, we are being entertained to death. We are putting our hope in worldly things or even in self-made righteousness, churchy things, but Paul wanted to remind them their hope is in Christ, in Christ alone, and that is for you today as well. Don't get distracted by legalism, false religion of works, or worshiping of worldly things. Remember what Christ has done for you and set your mind on things above. That's what you were designed for. It's what you were made for. Jesus has given you purpose. And the power comes through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit in you. It changes this present life, but it also changes your eternity. So this is the second truth I want to draw your attention to is that Jesus is your eternal hope. Look at verse 4 with me. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is such a glorious reminder in a season where we can feel so dissatisfied. Let's just be honest. My kids are already getting sick of their new toys. They already want their siblings, not their own toys. And that's just... a. A a, a child, kind of how you see that with children, we are no different. But in a world loaded with real suffering, in a world loaded with hard things, remembering that Jesus has promised eternal hope should keep us steadfast, should give us a foundation to build our life upon Philippians 3.20 reminds us that we are actually citizens of a different kingdom. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You were not designed for this world, to, to, to just make your own kingdom right here, with nice stuff and fancy houses and easy relationships. You were designed for eternity with God. It's why nothing satisfies us here. It's why we can get sweet tickets to the UK basketball game as they beat up on Louisville and still leave and want to go to another one and say, man, that's going to be awesome next time. We're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. I know what it's like to feel like I don't belong. When I was in middle school, back into middle school, my parents uh, moved our whole family to the Czech Republic. We packed up lots of boxes and we threw them in my grandma's barn for storage. And then we packed up the things we wanted to take with us and we went. Quickly, the excitement of a new place and a new culture turned to fear and loneliness. When I realized I had no friends, I didn't know the language. I was in trouble. Everything that I'd built my life upon here, my friendships, my sports, my music, I got there and nobody really cared because I couldn't actually communicate. I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I knew I was from there, and I wasn't. I could tell you loads of stories and ways that I was reminded that I didn't belong. I spent week after week in a a church hearing sermons and listening to songs I couldn't understand. I couldn't order my food in a restaurant without messing it up. I didn't understand the bathroom etiquette and it is different, I promise. The food was different. The people were different. It just didn't feel like home. So eventually, I just tried to figure it out. I started learning the language, became familiar with customs, figured out what my favorite kinds of food were so I could order them and make sure I got what I really wanted. I learned that if you need to go to a public bathroom, you have to get the toilet paper from the outside of the stall before you sit down inside the stall. I started to feel more like home. (laughs) I built friendships. I made memories. I grew comfortable. So what's wrong with this, you might ask? There's nothing wrong with getting comfortable in a place that you're living. But here's my fear. Everybody listen to me. My fear is that some of you are doing whatever humanly possible that you can do to make this world be your own little kingdom. You're you're doing whatever you can to to set up your life to end here. It's all about the the houses. It's all about the reputation. It's all about the stuff. It's all about that, that next vacation or that next trip to Disney World or whatever it is. I promise you, this life will never satisfy you that way. My fear is that you're going to work your entire life to try to feel like this is home when it was never meant to be. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 calls your body a tent or a temporary dwelling. We're passing through, guys. So we get to enjoy the UK game. We get to enjoy Star Wars. We can enjoy some of these things, but at the end of the day, if those are stripped away and you lack joy, it's because your joy has been misplaced. And this is especially evident in this Christmas season when we've gotten great gifts, but at some point in time, their newness rubs off. It's no longer as fancy. Things break. I've read the book. I've seen the movie. It's not quite as exciting as it was. Colossians 3 is ever so clear that our purpose is to live for God by setting our mind on things above, not on earthly things. And that we've been given the glorious gift of an eternity with God. That this this life is not our home, but that we have an eternal hope where we will be with God And then finally, the last thing I wanna do this morning is just remind you that Jesus truly is worthy of your worship yesterday, today, and forever in every area of your life. Verse 17 kind of culminates this section of scripture where it says, and whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our lives, Christians, are all about Jesus. Everything we do, everything we say is supposed to be submitted under his rule and reign. So that we're doing everything we can to bring honor and glory to his name. Paul comes out of this uh, high theological foundational point in time and then moves into a very practical section of scripture. One that we've we've gone over plenty of times here in our church. He starts in verse 5 by saying, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. That's not a just sweep it aside kind of comment. Put it to death. Execute it. Take it this seriously. We are called to put off our old self and put on the new, because the old does not represent your current citizenship and allegiance. If we continue to walk in these things that you read in five through, uh, you know nine and nine and ten. We're acting like we're a citizen of a different kingdom. We say we love Jesus, but we're submitting to the rule and reign of stuff, of selfishness, of covetousness, of wanting what I want, when I want it, how I want it. I don't think we take sin seriously enough. And I really think that's because we, when we get down to it, When we get to the bottom of our heart, when we think it through, we just don't want to give it up. It actually feels kind of good. It actually gives us a little bit of happiness. But every one of us has experienced that moment. When we've clicked that button, when we've yelled at our family member, when we've tried to get what we want. And then we sit back as Christians And the guilt comes. And we realize that that didn't satisfy me. That didn't make anything better. That all I'm left with now is a feeling of failure. A feeling of, do I really love Jesus? But you are not alone in this fight. I think sometimes we think it's up to me to figure this out. It's up to me to kill this. It's up to me to get rid of uh, any of these, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, or anger, malice, wrath, slander, obscene talk. It's up to me, but it's not. You have a part to play in this. But if you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit in you. I've said this before, it's not some junior varsity Holy Spirit, you know, like, uh, you know, the angel who's still trying to get his wings and it's a wonderful life. It's not that kind of Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is part of the Trinity is working inside you to help you put away the old and put on the new. That's such good news. If you re- I'm not going to read through it right now, but if you read through 12 through, through 17 at, at another point in time, you get to see this beautiful picture of a life lived for God. And if I were to be honest with you, if you want to have peace, I think you find peace as you become more like Christ. I think if you want to have lasting joy, you can find it as you grow with others in gratitude towards God. You want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? Something grand beyond your explanation or grand beyond what you can understand? Worship Jesus in every area of your life and you will be a part of something great. Because of his work on the cross for you and the future that he is holding for you, You can live in the present every day for the glory of God. Rosario Butterfield explained this radical change in her own life in a, uh, in a just a short post that I read this week and I wanted to read. It's on the back of your bulletin. If you don't know her story, you need to read about her. A very liberal professor Homosexual, in a homosexual relationship, practicing homosexual. And this is what she says about what the Lord did in her life. As a postmodern professor, I had warred against the binary oppositions and meta narrative of a biblical worldview. There's her professorness coming out in those words. <laughs> but after reading the Bible in completion many times for myself and discussing it in honesty with Christian neighbors and colleagues, something happened. The Bible got to be bigger inside me than I. It ignited the expulsive power of a new affection, to quote Thomas Chalmers. Here I was, a living epistle whose new life now teetered on the brink of those ideas that I had railed against for years. I had taught thousands of college students that sexuality and gender were social constructs. But the God I now met and loved made it clear in his word. Being born male or female comes with moral responsibility and constraints. The gospel remade me. It came in exchange for the life I had once loved, not in addition to it, through it. I met the triune God who intervenes in history and supernaturally controls all things. Her life was turned upside down by the gospel. Jesus wasn't an add-on to her life. It radically changed everything about her. She would be the first, if she was sitting right here, to tell you that she is still in process. She is still working towards holiness to glorify God in all things. But she would also say, but look what God has done in my life. As I have put off the old by God's grace and put on the new by God's grace. God's vision for who you can become is far grander than anything that you can dream of. Usually our plans and our dreams end up doing something for Jesus, but where we get to kind of stand up on a pedestal and and receive some sort of accolades. People say, we're so thankful for you. We love how you've built a great church. You've all of these things. But Jesus has a beautiful, beautiful design for your life. As you put off the old, as you put on the new, you can be a picture of, Of Christ everywhere. That is his plan for you as a Christian. That is his desire for you as a Christian. Is that you would no longer be bogged down by your old self. But that you would walk in continual holiness. And put Jesus on display. So what does that look like? Well, that means that you can become a person full of compassion for others. Someone who cares deeply for your friends, your family, your coworkers, and even those who hurt you. You can be a kind person by the grace of God. You can go out of your way to be a blessing. You can be a person full of humility and meekness. Somebody who sees themselves rightly and sees God rightly and gives him all the glory. You can be full of patience, long suffering, and slow to anger. You can forgive. And notice what he says here in the text is you can forgive because why? Because Christ has forgiven you. We don't have to hold on to things, hold on to grudges, and let them eat us up inside. You can love people well because you have been loved well Jesus is worthy of worship in every area of our life relationships you can love forgive and serve work you can be diligent you can work with integrity and you can love Jesus as you do it you can go to school and do your studies and be a light for Christ and don't cheat you can honor the Lord in your school You can love and serve your neighbors as a picture for the gospel. You can be patient and kind and compassionate and serve your family where often it is hardest. Anytime, like we see here in chapter 3, where our life does not line up with scripture. If we love Christ, that means God's word wins means I adjust, means I love Jesus so much that if this is what I am and this is what God says I can be, I say, I want that. God, help me be that for your glory. God wants to do a great work in you, Christian. Brother and sister in Christ, God wants to work in you Are you gonna work with him? Are you gonna look for areas in your life that you need to put off and put on and cry out to God to help you and put together a plan for change? It's one of the things I love about our church. We love you enough to help you grow because we want you to become all that God has for you. Jesus gives new purpose and power through the gospel. He gives you eternal hope that you will be with, in glory with him and that he is worthy of worship in every area of your life. It is life-changing, world-altering worship. Now in just a moment, we're gonna, we're gonna close by singing a song. Worship is not just about singing But it is one way that we get to worship our Lord and Savior. But before I get there, I want to take a moment. I think we are often so quick to, you know, we move to our closing song and then we just move on to lunch. Or we move on to our next activity activity or whatever it is. And I want to take a moment, just a moment, to sit under God's word. And in the quiet of our own hearts, ask God especially if you are a Christian, ask God, Lord, what needs to change in my life? What needs to change in me? And if you're not a Christian, I just wanna, I want you to use this time to think about what you've heard today. Jesus really lived. He died and rose again and is calling to you he says, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You can't earn salvation. You can't be good enough. So in this time, if you could just think about the gospel, this message of Jesus. Darren Patrick, in a a tweet I saw last night, he said, resolve without repentance equals modification without transformation. So in this next moment, I want you to think about where do I need to repent? I don't want to just motivate you to go from here saying, yeah, yeah, God, I'm going to go do these things. I want you to be broken over your sin and excited for what God can do in you. So take a moment and bow your heads. Ask God to speak to you right now.